was a, an amazing event that also took one week. What a blessing it was this last week as many of us were able to visit the Creation Museum and the Ark and, and uh, just be reminded how important it is for God's people to recognize that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I heard about a little boy that went uh, was uh, talking to his mother and he asked his mother, where did people come from? And his mother explained, well, God created the earth in the beginning and then he made Adam and Eve and they had babies and, and then those babies grew up and they had babies until we come all the way down to you and me. The child then asked his father the same question, Dad, where do people come from? And he goes into his explanation and he talks about the Big Bang and how uh, the primordial ooze and all those things and, and uh, to finally it came down to monkeys uh, and uh, being involved like we are now. It's like that poet uh, wrote, once I was a tadpole, beginning to begin. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey in a banyan tree. Now I'm a, P a professor with a PhD. Uh, the child ran back to his mother and said, Mom, you lied to me. We came from monkeys. Dad told me. And she said, no, honey, you don't understand. Dad is talking about his side of the family, and I'm telling you about my side of the family. Hey, creation is important, isn't it? But the problem was with the universe uh, was that it was shackled since man fell and man sinned. It is shackled and in bondage to sin. It is groaning in need of being liberated. And that is why this last redemptive week of Jesus Christ's ministry is so important. That's why we talk so much about it and make a big deal of it. Let's look at Mark chapter 11, verse number 1 to begin. The Bible says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem and to Bethage of Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and he said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye have entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you need this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they, sent, and they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways meet, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! to the highest. That's Palm Sunday. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin a message today, the lamb and the donkey, the lamb and the donkey. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here that each of us may apply your word to how it is needed in our lives. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. On Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem at the time that Passover lambs were chosen. He proclaimed himself as the promised Messiah by riding a donkey exactly as had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Now, the life of Jesus, if nothing else, is marked by many contrasts throughout uh, the Gospels as you read them. In the beginning of his ministry, he operated in obscurity. But news of his power and his claims to be the Messiah uh, spread, and soon people started to gather around him. It happens when you heal people and when you feed people. It happens. Uh, people are going to start to flock around. If you can take a boy's sack lunch with uh, two sardines and five hush puppies, feed five men and their families, or 5,000 men and their families, 
five men in their families would be enough. But this is 5,000 men in their family. People are going to follow you, and people did. So they started to throng him uh, from every direction. These crowds were with him until he began to preach a kind of commitment that we find in John chapter 6. That's uh, when he said things like, if any man come after me, he uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then the crowd thinned out a little bit. You know, it's easy to follow somebody when he's feeding you, when he's making you feel good. But uh, And people generally have no problem with Christianity as a concept. But you add personal responsibility to it, and the crowd starts to thin out a little bit. Now it's springtime. Uh, Sunday. It's a Sunday, spring, springtime Sunday, about the year 30 A.D. The time has come for him to claim the title as Messiah, the Savior that God has promised. Prior to this, another contrast, Jesus discouraged people from telling them who he is. Uh, you know, he healed somebody saying, I don't have to tell anybody about this. He didn't want to make be a spectacle. But now it's different. Now he is publicly proclaiming himself. He goes out of his way to invite this adoration and praise as the Messiah. On this day, on this Palm Sunday, Jesus is going to be praised. It was Passover time. And those of you who know a little about the Old Testament uh, what it celebrated uh, uh, these many years before, uh, 1,500 years to be exact, uh, before this, God had uh, delivered them out of Egypt, and so now they were celebrating this. Jerusalem was crowded with pilgrims uh, from everywhere. Every Jewish adult within 20 miles was required to be there, but the number would be added to by so many more coming from long distances. The city was teeming with people. They think today that as many as two and a half million people were in the city on this weekend. Uh, it, our day begins early on Sunday morning as Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem. He has just come from a, a standing at his friend's house, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had had supper with them last night. And if you read a couple of verses before, you'll see that that was the night that uh, as he's sitting there having supper with the family, Mary comes and breaks a box of spikes, a very costly ointment, and anoints his feet and wipes them down with her hair. So I have to think that even as he is walking into Jerusalem, folks around him can still smell that aroma of that perfume that was given to honor him. Now, it's important to grasp the feeling that is going on on this day so we can understand where the people's mindset was. They wanted Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. They were done with Rome. They wanted a deliverer. In fact, they would be ready to pick up their swords and their shields and go to battle with him if he would simply lead them. They wanted to be done with this oppression of Rome. But Jesus did not come for that purpose. He said in Matthew 5, 44, I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you. Ugh, who likes doing any of that stuff? And Matthew 5, 39, but I say unto you, he said this, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, offer the other also. Yikes, that's not a fun message to hear. People who listened to him were basically saying or, or thinking, now those are beautiful words, but surely he doesn't mean Rome. Only a lunatic would tell us to love Rome. We can't love Rome, but that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Uh, love even Rome. Rome has seen the power of the sword, but they have not seen the power of love. Show them love. I tell you today, friends, there is no better way to reach people than to show them the love of Christ. There's no better way. Uh, he who loves much will do much. 
Now, Pontius Pilate had already entered Jerusalem. His elite and battle-hardened Roman soldiers with him, ready to suppress any uprising that might happen. Herod Antipas was also there, the one that had beheaded John the Baptist. He had also arrived with great ceremony. People are seeing all kinds of power and pageantry throughout this day and this week. Then here comes Jesus, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 500 years earlier, when he said in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O Jerusalem. O daughter of Zion, shout, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. And that is just what happens. Now that he's made the roughly 15-mile walk uh, from towards Jerusalem via Bethany, he stops and sends two of his disciples. Uh, tradition tells us it was Peter and John. We don't know for sure. But to a nearby village to carry out a special errand. He gives them a command to go into the village and find a donkey colt who had never been ridden and bring this colt to him. What a, an assignment to be sent on as one of Jesus' top men there. Uh, this is kind of an embarrassing mission. So you want us to go to someone's house, and by their house, by the door, is tied a donkey. And we're to walk up and start untying this donkey. And in the face of the 12-gauge, they put out the window and say, Oh, no, no, don't worry, the Lord needs him. And that's going to work? That's exactly what they were sent to do, so off they go. By the way, Jesus' orders don't always make sense, but we need to always obey them, amen? So off they go. The Bible says, in a place where two ways meet. The original word is amphodon. It's a roundabout road. And so they, 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 here's a street that wraps around a house, and at the doorway of that house is tied a donkey. And they see this donkey. Jesus said to Peter, shrug their shoulders, look at each other, and go up and start to untie the donkey and take him off the rope there. Now, the Bible says that in, in Luke, when it recounts this, uh, that the owners came out. Luke says it's plural. Uh, just what do you think you're doing with our donkey? Oh, they said, the Lord needs him because that's what you do when you're caught stealing. You just say, the Lord needs him. <laughs> I, bought, I bought just under $1,000 of gas this week on our trip, and uh, I'd love to use that at the gas pump. Sorry, the Lord needs this, you know. And just go off. But here's the amazing thing. They said, okay, take him. Take him. Now, at this point, I know what you're probably thinking. Here's something interesting that I find, and I'm going to give you some stats that might surprise you. Palm Sunday, true, is one of the most vivid scenes in the New Testament. In fact, all four books talk about it. Not, not, not all the Gospels speak about the, everything uh, the same. You know, some things are in there, all of them. This is in all four Gospels. And this is about the glory that our finally, our Savior that deserves it so much, finally gets. There are altogether 40 verses, if you combine the four Gospels, that talk about the triumphal entry. Would you like to guess how many verses are about the donkey? Out of 40. This surprised me when I saw it. 
fact, I was quite surprised a couple of weeks ago. So what I did is I did a little, because uh, I'm visual. I told you, I, will, I was telling you I'm visual. I did a little visual. Here are the four passages we have. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every verse that talks about the time of ending, everything that it says about it, and what the reality on a donkey we're gonna find out it's an interesting thing to look about uh, to look into this story I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with this breed of animal but here's a few facts donkeys can live up to 50 years they're large they have big big old giant ears and uh, they have those ears first of all they can hear for miles especially in the desert uh, hear each other but also those ears are like giant donkey radiators that kind of help keep them cool when they get overheated donkeys have an incredible memory they can remember a person or an in, a place or another donkey for 25 years. They can remember these things. A donkey's reputation is that he is very stubborn. But a donkey is not so much stubborn as he has a very strong sense of self-preservation. So he does not want to do anything that might cause harm to himself or what he perceives would cause harm for himself. And so they they're, uh, have a reputation of being very stubborn. Here's a, here's a neat one. A donkey's brave. Their cry, we call it a bray. Um, it's unique because they require something that horses, zebras, and other horse-like animals don't have, and that is that they can bray or they make a noise with the inhale and the exhale of their breath. No other horse can do. Zebra can do. So it's it's in and out. Both of them make noise. You never know what you're going to learn in church, right? When you show up in church, you didn't know that. Now you can go home. I know how a donkey brays. Here's another interesting fact. Donkeys kill more people annually, worldwide, than airplane crashes do. And some of you guys are afraid to fly. Throw away that fear. Stay away from donkeys and you'll probably be safe in your life. Now, all that may be true about the donkey, but I'll tell you what's not true about a donkey. A donkey is not the vehicle of choice for a conquering hero or a returning king. I saw one this week. It's not an impressive sight to ride a donkey. It just isn't. Uh, it's not the choice uh, for a conquering hero. Alexander the Great had a black horse called Bacephalus. It was not a donkey. Napoleon's horse was called Marengo. It also, it was not a donkey. Robert E. Lee used two horses, Lucy and Traveler. Neither one of them were donkeys, as you can imagine. In the story of the triumphal entry, we see yet another contrast, though, and the donkey's one of them. Because people are familiar with an emperor that returns and comes into a city in his triumphant entry of victory. And he has chariots and he has war horses and he has marching legions and shining armor. And he often has many captives coming behind him. But Jesus Christ did not come to conquer the forces of earthly kings, but to conquer by love and mercy and his own sacrifice. He is not a, his is not a kingdom of armies and of splendor. His is a kingdom of lowliness and servitude. 
He conquers not nations. He conquers hearts and he conquers minds. Well, Jesus is ready to enter the city. Great crowds have collected on both sides of the road. Even before Jesus arrives, news has spread that he is there and that he's the one that raised Lazarus from the dead. I can even hear people talking amongst themselves. Have you heard the news? Lazarus, he was dead. And not only was he dead, but he was buried for four days. He was buried for so long, he had started to stink. He was decomposing. And Jesus came and stood there and, and uh, right in the midst of the graveyard. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes Lazarus forth out of the tomb. I saw it. I was there. And Lazarus is walking around perfectly healthy today. And he had supper ahead of his house last night. That's an amazing thing. And they're talking about these things. And they cut down palm branches. And they realize who Jesus is. And they're waving and shouting Hosanna to the king. Excitement is prevailing throughout the city. Crowds of people are spreading their coats on the ground so that when this donkey comes through, he doesn't have to step on the ground, but he's walking on their clothes. That's a big deal in a time when most people only had one, maybe two outfits. To lay aside a small small part of their wardrobe to let a man ride a donkey over them, that's sacrifice, but they gladly did it to praise the Messiah. Now, when you look at that scene in your mind's eye, I, I think we like that. It just feels right, this little portion of Jesus' life. Because that's what we think he ought to have. He ought to have the praise and the adoration of people. Uh, much of the adoring crowds that followed him in his ministry cared only what he could give them. Most rejected any kind of commitment to him. But this day, this day is different. The Pharisees tried to silence the crowd. Jesus said, you silence them, the stones will cry out. Somebody's going to give me praise today. And he was going to receive his praise. In this day, there was no silencing the welcoming of the son of David, Israel's king. As I picture it in my mind's eye, I always wonder how the disciples are responding to all this. I mean, Judas wanted nothing more than an earthly kingdom. He was all about earthly things. He wasn't even a Christian. And so Judas... Uh, He was probably on cloud nine. Finally, we're going to take over this whole thing. And he's seeing Jesus become what he wanted him to become in the first place. I imagine that Peter is walking with his chest expanded a little bit, thinking, well, finally, leaving fishing's worth it. Finally, we're getting some of the credit and recognition that we deserve. I imagine that maybe Thomas is there a little bit skeptical about all that's going on and uh, wondering what's next. Maybe Andrew's overwhelmed because Andrew, remember, he's the one that keeps bringing people to Jesus one by one every time you see that scripture. You see him bringing somebody to Jesus. Yet here are thousands of people here. He must have been overwhelmed. What about James and John? Well, James and John uh, thought that they deserved to be on the right and left hand of Jesus when he came home to his hand. So I think I know where James and John was. One was on the right side of the room, and on the left side of the room, shuffling for the position because they're right and left hand of Jesus as they're going. So here is this procession going down the street with people cheering, crying out, Hosanna. Great scene. Very well deserving of our Savior. As Jesus looked over the audience, he must have seen some familiar faces. There were those in the crowd that loved him and had been affected by him. I wonder if blind Bartimaeus was there, only he wasn't blind anymore. Now he could see and rejoice with his friends. How about Zacchaeus? He had paid back his debt to society. He was at peace with God. I wonder if Zacchaeus was in the crowd jumping up, trying to see people over Jesus. Remember, he was a really short guy like Pastor Nick. 
And, uh, and then the lepers. Think about the lepers. Their skins were cleansed now. They're rejoicing for the healing that God had given them. They could be there with their families now. Kids sitting on their shoulders looking at Jesus as he passes by. Maybe Jairus' daughter was there, brought back to life again after experiencing death. I'm sure Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were there. Their lives reflecting, reflecting all the love they had for Jesus. In the middle of all this, the Lamb of God right there. Because there's some things that really, if you if you get down to it, the donkey is a marvelous snapshot of the Christian's life. Let me show you a couple of them. Number one, it had to be redeemed. In verse number two, it says, you shall find a colt tied whereon never a man sat, loose him and bring him. When I was a teenager, my dad, uh, for me, put an ad in the paper. We had lots of land, and so I wanted to work with horses. I always worked with horses as a, a growing up, and, and I was going to work with, with horses, breaking them to ride and, and doing all those things. So we uh, started getting some in, and, and uh, I can tell you from experience, an untrained colt, whereupon never a man sat, uh, is, they can be as tame as a pet dog. They can follow you around, eat carrots out of your hands, and, but if they've never been ridden, and then when you get on them, uh, they become very unpredictable. They, some will buck and pitch. Some will refuse to move. Some will run like there's a fire under their tail. And uh, they'll just react differently. Your female horse can become a nightmare. Well, come on now. Stay with me. Got to be fast. All right, we're not going to stop for these. This, <laughs> this colt had not been broken. It had not been ridden. It had not been put into service. So he was all about going his own way, doing his own thing, until the Messiah got a hold of it. Now, I want to go back to the Old Testament because I want to show you something that's really, really exciting. The law of Moses in Exodus 13, 13. Let me read your verse. Every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. If thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break its neck. Now, the donkey was the one unclean beast that was both common and domestic in Israel. If you'll remember, Job had 500 female donkeys and others listed throughout the Old Testament had herds like that. The law recorded what was to be done with the firstborn of unclean livestock, what to do with the donkey. It could not be sacrificed at the tabernacle because it was an unclean animal. Its unclean blood could not be sprinkled on the holy altar its unclean meat could not be eaten by the priests and their families. So what do you do with an unclean donkey? Since the donkey was unclean, it could not be presented in sacrifice to the Lord. What then? Is it allowed to go free from the law? No, it could not because the law offered no exceptions. God always, God never allows any exception, by the way. There's one in the Bible that says very clearly, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son does not offer those exceptions. And so the donkey is rightfully his, and yet it cannot be offered to him because it's unclean. So Israel's kind of like in a catch-22 here. The Israelites seem trapped by conflicting regulations. Well, there was only one thing to do. Break the unclean animal's neck. 
The reason you break the neck is that that way you're leaving the blood in the body, making sure that you're not going to offer it as a sacrifice. So you break the animal's neck or you redeem it. Now, Israel had a choice. If he wanted to keep it, and donkeys were very helpful then as a beast of burden, uh, then he could redeem it with a lamb. He would have to bring a lamb to the tabernacle for a sacrifice. If he did not want to sacrifice the lamb, then he had no choice but to break the donkey's neck. And as I said, breaking his neck meant leaving the blood inside. It was not going to be used as a sacrifice. In other words, it was cast aside. It was thrown away. It was good for absolutely nothing. You get the picture here? Now, let me just stop and give you a little inside baseball on sermon plan. This is what you call a hotel message. I've been going all week. I've been up early every morning and uh, put some time in. I didn't have time to do it in my office. Sometimes in my office. Um, that the, now, you know Baptists are against standing. Sometimes there is such a thing. It's called preach day. excited about sometimes you just got to get up and you got to move around a little bit and it's just you can't contain yourself but the problem here was I was in a hotel room this week or in the hotel lobby and there's people around and I didn't want them to call the men in the white suits and so I had to bottle all this up so if I get a little excited today folks it's been bottled up all week because this is really really good follow me here the donkey is no good it is of no profit to you you have to kill it because it is unclean Unless, unless you have a lamb. And if you have a lamb, because of that lamb, the donkey can be redeemed. And it can be rendered useful. It is all of a sudden, friends, worth something. And all because of the lamb. The lamb had to buy, uh, to die for the donkey. And the picture I want to draw today, friends, is that donkey is you and me. We're worthless. We're nothing. We are unclean because of our sin. Because of our sins, we're unacceptable to God. We are rendered to him as unclean. And there's only one thing you can do with something that's unclean. You break its neck. You cast it aside. You separate it forever from the presence of God. It is forever worthless and cast away unless, unless there's a lamb. And if there's a lamb that will lay down his life for the donkey, and if there's somebody, wouldn't it be wonderful, friends, if somebody would see worthless us and undeserving us and unclean us and provide a lamb? Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so opened he not his mouth. Praise God, we had a lamb. We have a lamb that offers himself for us. That lamb is the clean, pure, spotless lamb of God, Christ Jesus. And here he is riding into Jerusalem. And what is he riding on? I love that picture. Isn't that wonderful? The lamb. That's good stuff. I like that. You know, you don't have to buy other books to get some exciting stuff. The Bible's full of really good stuff if you just start reading it and getting into it. He, the donkey, and we, the sinner, both need to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed with the one who John the Baptist looked up and saw in John 1.29, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He had to be redeemed. Secondly, the donkey had to be released. It was tied to a post. It had life, but it did not have liberty. 
It was still in bondage. It had to be set free. You see, friend, if you're in here today and you are not saved, if you're not born again, if you're not a child of God, you are in bondage. You're in bondage to your sin. In two different ways, you're in bondage. You can do nothing about nor can you do anything about the shackles of your sin because you are in bondage. But John 8.36 tells us that if the Son therefore shall make you free, then you shall be free indeed. Jesus paid the price for your sins that you could not pay for so that he offers you now this redemption freely as a gift. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. There is your bondage. There is your consequence. Because of our sin, we're going to die. That's our punishment. That's uh, because we're imperfect. We cannot live forever in perfection with God. We are sinful, so we're going to die. That's the curse of sin. But the rest of the earth, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? He laid down his life in sacrifice for us. And so that when we are, who used to be unclean, can now be set free from the bondage of our sin, all because of the Lamb. Hallelujah. What an exciting thing. He needed to be redeemed. He had to be released. But that's not all. They brought this redeemed and released cult to Jesus. Romans 6.18 tells us, being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. It had to be ruled. This donkey had to be ruled. It had not been released from its rope on the door there. So that it could run free, kick up its heels, and do the donkey's absolute favorite activity. You know what that is? Favorite activity of a donkey is to roll around on its back in the grass. They do that for hours on end every day. They love it. He wasn't free to do that. No, no, it was brought under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples, the Bible says, cast their garments on the colt. They sat Jesus thereon. The donkey surrendered his will to the master's will. It went where Jesus wanted him to go. And it did what Jesus wanted him to do. Because not only was he redeemed, not only was he released, but he was ruled by the Savior. Donkeys are known to be stubborn animals. but They don't, do, they don't want to do something, they don't do it. But when this donkey came in contact with Jesus Christ, he went against his own nature, and he did what the Lord created him to do. We can learn a lot of lessons from this donkey. His one job... Lift up Christ. That's what he was created for. Lift up Jesus Christ. It's a great picture of the Christian life. We're also redeemed from our lost condition. We are released from our uh, clutches of sin. Now we are to be ruled by the one who has redeemed us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 tells us, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? You're not your own. You don't own you. God owns you. He redeemed you. Our one job now is to do what? Lift up Jesus Christ. Lift him up for the world to see so that he can draw all men to him. I thank God for the lamb that came into town on a donkey. Uh, the many lessons we can get from this simple donkey. Here's a few more. The donkey was prophetic. The prophet spoke about him all the way back in the Old Testament. The donkey was picked out. He had a role to fill, and only he could fill that role. The donkey was prepared. He was there that day for one reason, and that was to serve the Savior. 
He was prophetic. He was uh, prophesied. He was picked out. He was prepared. He was also purposeful. The Lord needed him and used him for his glory. The donkey had a purpose for his existence. I can imagine when he was born, just a little baby colt in the barn there. I can imagine Adam smiles. Hey, that's the one. That's the donkey that's going to ride. He's going to ride in one day into Jerusalem. And uh, yet, uh, here he was. He had his purpose and he fulfilled it. Uh, the donkey was also privileged. He carried Jesus the Messiah. Oh, friend, it wasn't a burden. It was a privilege. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ isn't hardship. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ isn't a burden. It's the greatest privilege in the world to serve a Savior who loves us so much. He was privileged. He was also preaching. He lifted up the word, the bread of life, the Lamb of God. He showed Jesus to everyone around him. And then the donkey was passing. When he finished, he went back home. You never hear from him again. You heard the owners of the donkey speaking this morning. I don't know how they got uh, cameras back in that day, but uh, hey, we have it. So uh, they brought it. he brought him back because he fulfilled his purpose. He did what God had made him to do. Now, dear friend, you also have a purpose to fulfill. You are not an accident. That's another thing. Rotten, horrible, wicked, godless thing that evolution teaches us. You're some cosmic accident. You are not an accident. You are created by God. And he specifically made you in such a way that you are equipped to fulfill your purpose in life. Are you about that? You have a reason for your existence. You're not a waste. I talked to a young lady this week. Uh, one of our stops was, uh, I saw that she was crying off to the side. I went over and talked to her for a little bit. And that's what she felt like, nothing. It felt like a complete waste, a mistake. And uh, I was able to share with her some truths from the Word of God. We are not wasted. God did not make a mistake when he made you. Don't miss your opportunity. Because Jesus still needs to be praised. He still needs to be celebrated. He still needs to be lifted up. The Bible says in John 12, 32, actually Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Are you doing your job today for the Lamb of God? Have you fulfilled your purpose? Be like the donkey. Just do, your Just do what you make. Let God use you. Let him redeem you. Let him release you. And then let him rule you throughout your life. That today is the story of the lamb and the donkey. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. So many people in here that even today that I don't know well, and I don't know how the Lord spoke into your heart today, but you're here today, I don't know that I'm a child of God. I don't know if something happened to me right now. I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. I certainly hope I would. I, I would think I might, but I'm not sure. I'm not 100% on my ticket to heaven. Would that be you today? No one's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. I just want to pray for you. If that's you here today, raise your hand up. Just let me see it. Yeah, I'm not sure, preacher. I'm just not sure about my salvation. Thank you so much. How about you, dear Christian? Are you like the 